Did you know that the bacterium E. coli that lives in your gut, that helps you digest stuff, yeah, that bacterium, would you believe, has more than 3.6 million base pairs just in its DNA. It would take about a thousand pages to write all that out. That's the information encoded in the center of this bacterium. It's a bug. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Good evening, everyone. My name is Kelly, and I am one of the intern pastors here at Praxis Ministry. And I just want to say a huge welcome to all of our Praxis community here, and especially to those who are visiting due to camp meeting. And I'm also going to welcome all the people on live stream tonight. We are so glad that you've made it here. You could be anywhere else, but you decided to come here tonight, and we are really excited to have you here we are doing a special series this month that will parallel with what Randy Roberts is speaking on Sabbath mornings. So, are you taking my spot over here? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so we're just really excited to have you all here tonight. Um, we are going to be discussing a really interesting topic and tomorrow's sermon is on to believe or not to believe. That is the question. I have here with my friend, Pastor Miguel. He is one of the awesome pastors here who actually organizes basically all of the studies that we do here on campus in the sermon series. Thank you, Kelly. It's so good to be here. It's so good to have camp meeting. As you all know, if you've been in this community for a while, camp meeting is this wonderful time when we all come together. So I see a lot of young faces, but you know what I'm really excited about? the not-so-young faces that I see. Because it, this is what this is about. This is what church is about. Church is about this awesome coming together of different generations. Absolutely. And so we want to thank you so much for being supportive. How many of you usually go to first service? Okay, well, this week you have a, sp a special dispensation um, so, that, so that you can be there late. You know, if you're a first service person, usually we greet you uh, promptly at 8.50, 8.55. Tomorrow you can get there at 9.30. It's fine because we know that we're keeping you way, way, way past your bedtime. That's true. As we introduce um, our guests tonight, I just want you to just for a moment with me Take all of the things that you know about religion, take all the things that you know about Christianity, about your faith, and about God, and I want you to wipe it clean. And I want this space tonight to be a safe space where it's okay to take the knowledge that you're learning tonight and to create something new out of it. I know that personally for me, I have always been deconstructing my faith, and the beauty of that is that when you challenge and you doubt your faith, you end up building more faith out of that. So tonight, I'm gonna ask you, take whatever things that you know and let go of it for a minute as we introduce our speakers and we have this exciting conversation tonight. I'm gonna introduce here my friend Chris. He is a brilliant geologist right now, like studies the earth, super cool. And I'm gonna let you tell us about what you study and what your education has been. And what fun things you like to do on the weekends when you're not here at Praxis. Okay, so real quick, uh, my name is Chris Roop and um, I was born in a Christian home. I doubted God's word and doubted God's existence. That led me to pursue a degree in biology and I got that. And then I worked with a 
former atheist from Cornell who was a geneticist and did seven years studying population genetics, which is basically uh, the mechanism of evolution, supposedly, and also um, studied human paleontology, um, the ape human fossils, and ended up writing a book. Now I'm doing a PhD in geology, and uh, by God's grace, I'm still learning a lot, and my, my faith is strengthened along the way every time. Amen, Chris. Yeah, that wasn't that an amazing introduction? Uh, we have, I'm telling you, when, when I say we have experts in their fields, I mean we have experts in their fields. Um, next to Chris, we have a friend of mine. I've known him for years, and he truly, truly is a brilliant mind. Um, he's a pastor, but he's one of these pastors that is always pursuing knowledge, and so Moses is also very invested in philosophy. He's pursuing PhD work in philosophy. Moses, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, some of the things that you do uh, for fun. I saw your spouse here. I saw your wife here for a sec. I don't know if she's still here. Sylvia, are you still here? So good to see you. It's, it's crazy because I knew them when they were little and now they're not. And so it's kind of, it's an existential crisis. I think you're getting old. I, I am. I am. But Moses, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I'm pastoring here in, in Corona with the. Can you hear me now? <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, um, I, and I am doing a PhD work in philosophy um, at the University of Leeds. Um, it hasn't been easy. Uh, the, the first couple of years, I kept turning in essays and working up to a proposal to justify what my dissertation would be on. And actually, the first time around, I did not pass. Um, so I had a lot of pressure uh, the, the, the last year to um, rethink my work. And you know, with that, that threat of maybe I won't make it this time and I'll get dropped from the program. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful that uh, my faith and much prayer and support from family and my, my, my churches, um, I, I think, have uh, been, yeah, the support system that I needed to, to be able to, to get back to the drawing board, rethink things, and just a couple of months ago passed. So um, now I'm, yeah, writing, writing, trying to write that thesis. <laughs> So we'll call you doctor uh, for, for tonight. <laughs> Next to Moses is Danilo. Danilo is a good friend of mine. He teaches here at Loma Linda University in the Department of Biochemistry. So if you are, uh, he teaches for the medical school program. And so if you're a medical student in biochemistry, you know, you know him as Dr. Boscovich, but he is Danilo to us. Danilo, tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and some of the things that have led you to this journey. <clears throat> I was born in Belgrade, Yugoslavia, when it was under communism. And being a Christian in that environment was not exactly popular. And being Adventist was... <clears throat> <clears throat> You know, one of those major existential issues. Many of my friends that I grew up in church with are no longer in church because of the intense social pressures. So I've, I have often wondered, why am I here? That is an existential question. I hope I have an. I hope you have an answer because I ask myself that every day. Why am I here? It occurs to me that I was blessed with two wonderful parents, who somehow, from the earliest age, made it obvious to me that you know good things do not happen by chance. Somebody actually has to put effort into it. Somebody has to even sacrifice to make it work out well. Bad things happen on their own. You don't have to work hard for that. Yeah, just take a quiz in biochemistry and you'll, you'll see how bad things happen on their own. 
Thank you, Danilo. Our next guest next to Danilo is my friend, Luis Andrade. He, yes, he is part of our Praxis community. We're so excited to have him here. He is a rocket scientist. Like, literally, if you need a rocket scientist, I know who to call. So, Luis, would you like to introduce yourself and just your background? Thank you. Yeah, uh, rocket science, or in other words, aerospace engineer, same thing. Um, so, aerospace engineers, we basically specialize on the design of anything that flies, rockets, satellites, airplanes. Got a bachelor's in aerospace with a minor in mathematics, then got a master's in aerospace engineering, currently doing PhD work uh, funded by the National Science Foundation um, at UCLA. And uh, in terms of work experience, which is probably relevant to the topic that we're gonna discuss tonight, is I've been working for the Na uh, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory for about nine years now. It's been, started young. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> um, and across those nine years, I've had the privilege of working on a lot of flight missions uh, that are in space now or are going to be in space soon. And we were literally looking for life on other planets, other moons, exploring how did our galaxies form? How did the universe form? So tackling those big questions, and uh, my job as the aerospace engineer was to help design the spacecraft that collects the data that our scientists then take and analyze to try to answer those questions. So, so, so just in your home, when they say it's not rocket science, you, you can actually turn around and say, yeah, yeah, it is. It is rocket science. I've, I've gotten that as a gift at some point, like a shirt that says that. Kelly, isn't it awesome to have kind of people that are in their own areas, experts, and they're still grounded in faith? Absolutely. And... I'm so excited to just pick your brains tonight. And I'm sure the rest of the community does too. And if you have any follow-up questions or comments, please come and talk to us afterwards. We would love to get to know you as well. And if you have any questions, we would love to actually answer those in our following week um, to come. So if you have any questions afterwards, please come and talk to us. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more as well. So let's just get started. Um, I, all of you have graduate degrees. Um, some of you have more than one graduate degree. How many of you got your graduate degrees from Christian or faith-based universities? But you're at the University of Leeds now, right? So that's, so how many of you have gotten a terminal degree, I should ask, from a non-Christian or non-faith-based university? Can we, can we see? So all my schooling has been secular. Wow. So just to start, um, whether, whether you're studying uh, genetics or geology, philosophy, biochemistry, or we're just going to call it rocket science, in a milieu that is not faith-based, where I'm assuming that most of your professors, most of your colleagues in uh, classrooms are not people of faith. How does, how does that work for each of you? Uh, because it seems you're here because your faith is a central part of your identity, and yet most of your life is lived outside of the confines of a faith community. So I guess I'll go first. Um, so this is interesting because I've changed my approach over the years, and um, when I was uh, a biology student, um, I was much younger then, and I had this new faith in Christ, and, and a big influence in my life was creation science, as it's told today. And so at that point, I was not very tactful. So I, I would um, challenge students, challenge the teacher in the middle of class, and sometimes I wasn't rude, but it would create a ruckus because it was controversial. So I've learned over the years to be more tactful and to be um, just, to, just to be quiet and work hard, get good grades. And <laughs> although I will say, though, there, there's something to be said about um, being bold in your faith. It did act absolutely, it was an exciting time with the Lord. Uh, there were souls that were impacted. And so, so be bold, but just be tactful. Yeah. Yeah. 
Others. Um, yes, yeah, um, I mean, it's absolutely true that it can be very difficult to just have faith in anything, whether it's God, another type of God, or just faith in general in that environment. Because personally for me, as an engineer, um, we've been trained to never take anything on faith. We need to do extensive analysis and prove it to ourselves and to everybody on the project that this will work. And if there's even a, a, a small doubt that it will not, it's a no-go. We have to make sure that we analyze everything. And to turn around and then say, like, I have this faith in this being that I've never seen, it can definitely create a lot of friction, internally especially. Um, and, you know, that's something that I've had to work through. It's part of my spiritual journey, and I'm still going through it. Um, but it hasn't been easy. And, in fact, um, early on in my career, I actually left church and became agnostic. Um, and, uh, you know, after years of living that life, you know, God brought me back. And we can go into that if you want. But. I would love to hear about this tension that you had in your faith journey. Um, could you just talk a little bit more about how that was for you, what your thoughts were, what you started with, what you were wrestling with, and eventually what you're dealing with or, or thinking through now? Yeah, I mean, to this day, I, I, you know, if we're being honest, you know, faith is something I struggle with, and I'm learning to, to live with it, but... The thoughts I had was, um, why am I going to live my life according to this set of rules from a supposed God that wrote these that I, I don't even know if this is true, and why would I set the rest of my life up in this way, you know? And I started thinking, you know, especially, you know, we're all kind of educated here, and I started thinking, you know, I may know more than the people that wrote the Bible. How do they know more than me, especially about my life? In, in the year 2000-whatever, you know, how can they know what's best for me? Um, and so I started relying a lot on my own intelligence, and I started believing that I know more than God. And <laughs> I heard some, some gasps out there. <laughs> um, it's a safe space, remember. Judgment-free. So in that moment where you were wrestling with these, you know, ideologies, you're living in this duality, essentially, because you grew up with these, with these ideas of who God is, of creation. How did you then, after learning about all the things that you're currently learning about in your profession, how did you then bridge that gap? How did you, and I know you said that you're still living in this duality, but at this point of your journey, where is that for you? Where is that bridge that you have, are living in right now? Well, one thing that never let me go full atheist, I guess, was, you know, as, as I said, I, I was agnostic in the sense that I didn't want to have anything to do, to do with the Bible. I wasn't praying. Um, but I couldn't shake the feeling that maybe there was something out there. And the reason was because, uh, well, it lies in the subtlety of the difference between, I think, a scientist and an engineer um, I was working closely with astrophysicists, astrobiologists that were um, trying to understand how our galaxy's universe formed, how life formed. Uh, but for me, I was cre helping them by creating the spacecraft, right? So my whole career, my whole training has been on the premise of intelligent design and creation and putting in hard work to make something good happen, as you were saying. Um, and that was the, I guess, singular thought that I couldn't shake, that maybe, just like I created the spacecraft, maybe maybe something created us. I don't know, you know? It's, it's, it's a tough question. And it's definitely a tough thing to say in, in that community, but that's kind of what brought me back, among other things. Right, so the complexities of what you are doing is so incredibly well thought out that if something were to create if something, if I am to exist as a complex creature, then is there something that created me, right? And, and that is one of the classical proofs for God's existence when you take it away from the realm of scripture. Uh, William Paley who, uh, Paley, who was a philosopher and a 
a brilliant thinker, uh, came up with a proof of God's existence based on complexity. And one day he was fiddling with his watch and he looked at the watch and the watch had gears and it had uh, intricacies. And so the idea that it just happened by chance um, was unthinkable for him. Now, Moses, I've taught uh, introductory courses in philosophy. I don't know why they did that to me. Um, and within the humanities department at a community college, I think I was the only theist. If I had to find theists, I would have to jump over to the chemistry department or sometimes in physics there would be a couple of them uh, that, that pro were proponents of intelligent design. But there were no, no, and no anthropologists, no sociologists, no philosophers that were theists. What's up, man? Yeah, that's that's true, and it's there's kind of it's kind of there's kind of a um, an irony there because when you look at the history of of you know ancient philosophy, Middle Ages, and even modern the birth of modern philosophy with Descartes, you have all of these thinkers that were doing all kinds of disciplines at the same time. You know, New Isaac Newton is doing physics, but at the same time writing a commentary on Daniel and Revelation. Right, uh, that they have there in, in, in England, you can see it. Um, and there's a series, a series of, I think, of John Locke, right? He's doing a uh, political theory um, and, uh, and various others, you know, but they're doing philosophy at the same time. Uh, and and it's, it's hard to say that any of them were like hardcore atheists, but, um, but I mean, as, as a Christian, and a philosopher in various philosophy departments where I've worked, yeah, um, I'm kind of in bad company. You know? <laughs> um, uh, I, I think my, the, the initial reactions that I got at, at UCR, at Aberdeen, at Oxford, and Leeds were like, what? <laughs> you're, you're a pastor? Um, and uh, yeah, so... I, 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 it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I don't know if it's more of a, a, a cultural phenomenon. I don't know. So let me play devil's advocate for yeah. a second. And we're going to pretend for the briefest of moments that we are in a philosophy department somewhere. And I'm going to ask you uh, a question that I'm, that I'm assuming gets asked a lot. So I think you, you noted very appropriately, very astutely, that philosophy in its inception uh, was seen as, as a doctrine, at least if you look at ethics or met metaphysics, that was trying to understand and trying to come up with rational arguments for the existence of a being. Um, and that was because I think society itself was improving. After uh, French Revolution, after industrialization, we all said, hey, the world's getting better. And then World War I happened, and then World War II happened. Mm. And then in France and in Europe, you have the rise of existentialism and people starting to say, well, the world's not getting better, it's actually getting worse. And so there can't be a God. And so how do you, how do you navigate the deeply divided society, the deeply violent society, the deeply vitriolic society that we now live in where anybody that's just observing is saying, well, sometimes the biggest proponents of violence and intolerance are Christians. And so if God is like that, perhaps we'd be better off without a God. Yeah, yeah. So the, and there you have problem of evil and the uh, problem of suffering. If I could back up a little bit, you were talking about uh, William Paley and I think the teleological argument. And uh, if you ever take a philosophy class, you'll get like a little crash course in logic or critical thinking at the beginning. And they break down arguments kind of, uh, uh, kind of like this. And so premise one, right? Uh, design implies a designer. Premise two, well, the world has design. And you might say like a fact, uh, uh, some evidence for that is the anthropic principle, right? The complexity. Um, it might be geology. You might say the, the, what you find, you know, in, in fossils and etc. So that's supporting premise number two, and then you'll jump to a conclusion, which is number three. Therefore, the world has a designer, right? <laughs> or the universe has a design, and we call him God. 
Um, and same thing with the cosmological argument, right? Uh, that beginnings um, imply a cause. Well, um, science is saying that Big Bang and Hubble telescope and discoveries say that we, what was it, the universe is expanding, right? And so we, something must have, called, must have caused it, right? So premise three, we call that God. Um, yeah, but that doesn't, that doesn't tell us anything about what kind of God or, or what, it, what kind of cause, right, uh, put this world into, into existence or made it real. Um, and it certainly doesn't explain or, or justify or help us when we are facing um, suffering, right? Uh, and uh, I think of the, of the night, and uh, Ellie Weisel wrote that. I was reading that with my wife um, some months ago, and uh, the author describes that moment where the young boy is, uh, a boy, right, um, five, six years old, is hung. Um, and he hears a voice behind him say, where is God? Right? And he says, I heard a voice within me say, hanging on a gallows. But yes, that's the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. Um, and as you can see, I've kind of uh, just further described that. I haven't given an, an answer or response for it. And I think that's one of the things that, Kelly, you mentioned at the beginning, right? We don't want to give you all the answers because we don't have all the answers. Right. Um, we want simply to have you, in whatever arena of life you are, believe that there, is, that there are people who think about these things deeply and carefully, and they've come up with the realization that there is a space for faith. Absolutely. And on the topic of suffering, like people, oh, I'm sorry, Danilo, did you have something that you wanted to say? I was thinking about what you just mentioned. Right up to you. If we conclude that because there is evil, there cannot be God. That is the same as going to a scrapyard and concluding that the cars were not beautifully designed. Does that make sense? Do, do you see the problem? Enough said? You're gonna get a lot of students this next semester. I, 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 feel, I feel like you're gonna get a lot of students next, next, next semester. Oh, and I have a question here for my friend Chris. I know that we talked a little bit in the back about just your journey as a human paleontologist. And I just wanted to know a little bit more about how that journey was for you and, and your spiritual formation as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a bi I got my degree in biology, and I did research in that area, but I don't have a formal degree in human paleontology. I should be clear about that. Um, so the interesting thing about this, though, is that when I was in high school, I actually thought, well, uh, if I'm just an evolved ape and there is no God, then why should I live my life a certain way? Why should I follow the, the so-called straight and narrow? And at that point in my life, I was choosing which types of friends I want to hang out with, what types of moral decisions I want to make, and so it was very important to me to get to the bottom of that. If I'm just an evolved ape, then right and wrong is simply your opinion. And, and in fact, there's nothing wrong with, with doing certain things if you have that kind of worldview. It's even worse. So I wanted to know the truth, regardless of whether it fit with my Christian upbringing or not. I didn't care. I just wanted to know, can you know the truth? And so that's why it was pretty amazing for God to bring that full circle and to put me in an environment where I would be researching for several years the topic of human evolution and a, a very detailed uh, uh, study of the scientific literature to get to the bottom of those, uh, those so-called ape-human bones or fossils called hominins. And um, I don't know if I should leave you with a cliffhanger and just end it there, but, <laughs> but what I found actually strengthened my faith incredibly. Uh, there is a very consistent biblical way to interpret the fossils that is in agreement with science and with genetics. And so that's, that was what the book was all about. In other words, you don't have to sacrifice faith to do good science. And you do not do shoddy science by being faithful.
think uh, so, we're done here. Uh, I, feel, I feel like we need to put that on Instagram or, or wherever it needs, it needs to be. needs to be a quote be. somewhere. Well, maybe we'll make t-shirts. We should. Yeah. We should. Although, although we're not scientists. Well, I... Oh, you are a scientist. I actually have a degree in That's biology. Right. I'm sorry. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So a, a lot of times we, we look at, uh, Moses, you were talking a little bit uh, about the problem of evil. Danilo, you, you mentioned it as well. Um, there's there's uh, a defense against that. Um, Alvin Plantinga, for example, in his free will argument, um, basically stating something like, freedom, that God created the best world that he was able to create, and for him to create that world, the possibility of, of human beings choosing something else needed to be present. I'm wondering, in each of your areas, does that ring true, the idea that this universe, broken as it is, has some inherent beauty, whether you're looking at fossil records or at uh, different strata, or you're looking at ideas throughout time, or you're looking at biological and chemical reactions, or you're looking at a space uh, station. Is, this, is there beauty and wholeness and the fingerprints of the divine in your, in your own uh, experience with your particular disciplines? Well, I guess I'll start. Um, is there the fingerprints of the divine in my field. Um, well, to be honest, uh, you know, within aerospace engineering, I focused on a, a specialty that is very mathematical. So I almost consider myself more of a mathematician now than an aerospace engineer in my graduate studies. And to be honest, I find beauty and the fingerprints of the divine in math. And I think it was um, Galileo that, I, at least it's attributed to him, that he said math is the language with which God wrote the universe. And it's true. I mean, you may not see it day to day, but we are math. Everything we do is math. The way that the sound waves are traveling from, from, from me to your ears through this microphone, everything is math. And uh, I really actually find a connection with God by s delving deep into the math, which to me is the language of God, you know? Did I mention that I, one of my degrees is in math? You did not. We should talk after this. <laughs> we should talk. Do you also think in equations? Like you look around the room and you see equations, like the quadratic formula just pops up in your mind? As, as, as some friends, that know me more closely would say, I'm, I'm pretty logical, um, or I can be. And we actually share that with philosophy. You know, you're talking about critical thinking and, and logic. So math and philosophy, you structure an argument with logic, and math is essentially logic. So I do think in that way, and oftentimes with, with friends that uh, lean towards the other side, we have clashes, but we're still good friends, you know? But sometimes <laughs> we, we don't see eye to eye on things. <laughs> Ezrika. <laughs> Way to call Ezrika out. Come up there. <laughs> we, we are math, but we don't do math, at least some of us. Um, Amen. Geology, some fingerprints of the divine in, in what you do, Chris. So you, you asked originally was, do you still see beauty, even though we live in a fallen creation, essentially? And for me, yeah, obviously I go to these outcrops and it's cross-bedded sandstone. You can say, wow, that's beautiful. You've probably gone to Zion National Park and seen similar outcrops. But um, to me, I, what I focus on because I have to is something that daily reminds me of God's judgment. Because when I look at the fossil-bearing rock layers, I don't see evidence of millions of years. I see evidence of a worldwide flood. So a worldwide flood would carry mass amounts of sediments onto the continents. It would bury animals alive, forming fossils. That's why we see fossils of marine or sea creatures and land creatures uh, buried together high and dry in the continents. So for me, what I see oftentimes is more evidence of God's judgment. And Jesus said, just as, just, and Jesus warns and says, you know, uh, people were eating and marrying and giving in marriage right up until the day the flood came and took them all away. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. So I'm constantly thinking of, uh, you know, 
sorry to have a, a negative note up here, but it's also a positive, right? Jesus is coming again, and he will judge the world again in righteousness. So that's... And, and, and sorry, I'm just going to add something really quick. In your, in your specialty, do you guys do a lot of carbon dating? <laughs> um, I don't personally, but I, I do have a quick soundbite to say about that, if you don't yes, mind. Yes, please. I want to hear it. So a lot of people think that um, carbon-14 dating shows how old things are. And actually, if you know something about carbon-14 dating, you know how it shows how young things are. Uh, what's amazing about carbon-14 dating is that it has a theoretical upper limit. So if you look at scientific journals, it's around 100,000 years, some say younger. So think about this. Carbon-14 has a short half-life. What does that mean? It takes about 5,730 5, years for half of the amount of carbon-14 to decay into nitrogen-14. So after about 16 and a half half-lives, you have no more carbon-14 left. It's, it's converted, in, it's decayed into nitrogen-14, its stable form. Here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, think of it as an analogy as a pie. Let's suppose um, I, I love chocolate pudding pie, and so I'm supposed to save a piece for my wife. And so I, I have just one piece left, and I cut it in half. And then I leave that half for my wife. But then I get hungry, I get tempted again, I come back in the kitchen, I cut that pie again, that piece again in half. What happened to that piece? It got smaller. If I keep doing that each time, my wife's not gonna have any pie left, right? So that's the kind of the idea. So think about this. If carbon-14 dating can't give dates past 100,000 years, should you find any carbon-14 in things like dinosaur fossils? Why? Because dinosaur fossils, based on the geologic rock layers that they're found in, should be older than 65 million years old. Same thing with diamonds. Diamonds are believed to be two to four billion years old. They should have no measurable amounts of carbon-14. They should be carbon-14 dead. But there is a huge volume of published scientific journals, 90 different peer-reviewed scientific journals, all showing essentially that the entire uh, fossil-bearing rock layers, carbon-based materials, things like dinosaur bones, all types of different fossils, uh, diamonds, all have measurable amounts of carbon-14. What that shows is the entire physical age of the Earth must be young. So that's just a, a sound bite. So carbon-14 really is a strong confirmation of the biblical view of history in Genesis. That's beautiful. Thank you. And then I have one more question. We lost some of you. I'm so fascinated. And then they came back when you mentioned pie, Chris. Yeah. I saw it. I saw it. we lost Positive them. Pie. But then they came back when you mentioned pie. That's that's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. That's that's yes, that's really really a helpful soundbite. Okay, can I ask my really quick question though? Okay. Once you have carbon 14 gone, you now have nitrogen 13. 14. 14. And can you date nitrogen-14? No, it's a stable atom, so it doesn't decay, it doesn't have a half-life. So then when people say that there's carbon dating and they, continue, and they continue it into billions and millions of years? So if you want to get supposedly older ages, you have to use heavier elements, heavier radioisotopes like uranium, uranium to lead, potassium to argon, argon-argon method. Um, but I just use carbon-14 because it's something most people are familiar with. Right, but right, I right. could go on about the other ones too, but I'll we'll spare talk after. You. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Biology. I'm just like, we'll, oh, this is so fascinating. We'll go on, and it'll be ice cream and cake <laughs> and chocolate, because we we need we need it simplified. Um, Danilo, in your field, biochemistry, beauty and the fingerprints of the divine. Hmm. I have my experience has been that. The more I learn about hmm, living things, the more I feel drawn to God. The closer I feel God's presence, the more I wish to learn. So I have not, you know, some of us here have had this struggle between faith and learning. For me, that has not been the case. Uh, so in that sense, I'm not that colorful. <laughs> However, what I basically see is that, forgive me, uh, but you know, a single cell is more complex than any rocket. 
Or satellite. You know, so it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Just, just, just as a little glimmer. Um, did you know that the bacterium E. coli that lives in your gut, that helps you digest stuff, yeah, that bacterium, would you believe, has more than 3.6 million base pairs just in its DNA. It would take about a thousand pages to write all that out. That's the information encoded in the center of this bacterium. It's a bug. <laughs> it's nothing sophisticated. It's not even a eukaryotic cell. I, you know, one of our cells has, yeah, yeah, yes, you're right. We're talking three to four billion base pairs. That's like having, did I mention a thousand pages for the bacterium? <laughs> Multiply that by a couple of thousand. And then think about, that's like a library. And that's all in every nucleus of every cell that makes up your body. How did all that information get there? I mean, if you get a letter from somebody, you don't assume this just happened. <laughs> What about a thousand page book? What about a thousand books? Need I say more? Louis, do you have a rebuttal? I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that is, that is absolutely beautiful. The fingerprints of creation can be found within ourselves and the research that you have done has shown that there's so much complexity that it cannot, or it seems to appear, that it cannot have happened by chance. And the interesting thing is that you cannot derive information from matter any more than the message you get from one another is somehow derived from the piece of paper or the ink. If it was, it would be useless for that purpose. Would you rely on a piece of paper and ink to send a message to somebody if the paper would mysteriously alter the message to whatever it wants? You see, the message that you write is independent of the medium that carries it. That means that you have material and the information is an entirely new category um, of complexity on top of that. I understand, yes. It's like, it's like you, have, you, you have the instruction manual with the rocket. It's like the... The example of if you see something wash up on the beach and you write, you see a message written there, who wrote that message, right? Like the, the, the water, the ocean, that medium cannot transfer data, a message on the sand. Somebody needed to put that data, that information, that message on the sand, right? Encode it in our cells, right? That, that seems then to place a very high value on human beings, regardless of where you're from, what your ethnicity is, what your gender is, what your political affiliation is, what your preferences are, regardless of whoever you are, you have this divine fingerprint in you, this divine data in you that says you're beautifully and wonderfully made. Amen. Moses, in your, in your arena of study, how do you see how do you see God and how do you see these fingerprints of the divine? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on who you're reading, right? Um, but I suppose even if you're reading the young Marx, you know, you're going to find an essay, his earliest essay on, on Jesus. Um, and you'll find someone as far out as Jacques Derrida writing, you know, in his later writings that um, I speak of God or if there is a God, he goes by other names in my and it makes you want, you know, what, what um, Martin Heidegger, right? <laughs> Only a God could save us now at the, at the end of his writings. But, um, but I keep coming back to Nietzsche, right, to, to Nietzsche. And, um, and not, the, not the death of God allegory, but um, actually there's a, there's, a, there's a line in his uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra where he says, one must still have chaos within oneself to give birth to a dancing star. Um, and something that I find beautiful about his writings is uh, this emphasis on that. It's what we do with the suffering and the pain and what we call evil uh, that is significant. You know? The meaning that we create, that we find, that, that we make. And, as, and when you speak of of beauty in, in, in humans, right? Um, and you look at and you hear and listen to their stories, uh, you'll find beauty within them. Um, and I mean what people do with the, with the pain and the suffering that, you know, that, that happens to them, that they go through. So even Nietzsche, um, it reminds me then of, of this idea that even, even the stones will shout and proclaim. Even the stones. So even Nietzsche. Friends, this has been, I could be here for another three hours. At least. But I need to be at church tomorrow morning. <laughs> so we're going to start wrapping it up. Kelly, would you like to ask one final question of our wonderful panelists before? Are you... Did you guys enjoy it? Did you find this helpful? This was amazing. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight. And I have one more question. If you were to give advice to anyone sitting here in these seats, maybe they're wrestling with their faith, maybe they're going through a season of doubt, or maybe they are so incredibly confident in what they believe in. From your background and your experiences, do you have maybe 30 seconds of advice that you would like to give? 30 seconds. I'm just kidding. We we're not timing it. Okay, uh, start with me, I guess. Um, going back a little bit, you know, we've, we've had a lot of discussion today about, um, in a way, you know, discrediting the mainstream science or, or the conclusions that, that they get to. Obviously, we we believe in, in God and, and mainstream scientists typically don't. But um, I do feel like I need to clarify, I do believe that they do good science. You know, at JPL, the missions I've worked on, the methods that they're using are logical and they're sound and, and uh, the data that they're collecting is good. Um, I, the way that I see it is those projects, that research, those missions are trying to understand the mechanisms that created our universe and everything in it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Me, as a Christian, what I do is I take that and I put another layer on top of that. And I say, basically, you know, the research that we are doing here is describing the pencil that wrote the letter. And I'm saying there's somebody that's holding that pencil, you know? Amen. So, and, you know, mainstream science focuses on the pencil, and that's great, and that's fine, and there's nothing wrong with that in, in a way if that's what they want to do. For me, that's not fulfilling enough, and I want to know who's holding that pencil, who's holding that mechanism that gave birth to the planet or life or the universe. Um, so with that aside, now going back to your question, um, 30 seconds, right? <laughs> that was 30 seconds? <laughs> How much time you do time. I have? You have, you have time. You have time. Um, you know, I would say... One thing I've learned is, and I believe, if, if our God is real, then he will be able to be scrutinized, and we shouldn't be afraid to, to ask questions. And, you know, as a Christian, 
I am not the type of Christian that has blind faith. I, I want to understand, and I truly believe that if my God is real, then the more I dive into it and, and, and search for truth, it will point me back to him. And I'm not afraid of, of making that journey. Um, and so I would encourage at least, you know, people to do that. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and just know that there's a lot of us that have strayed away from God. Um, but, you know, at least in my case, that has strengthened my faith. Because now I came back and m my faith is now my own. I'm not here because my parents forced me to when I was a child. Um, I'm here out of my own free will, and I'm wholeheartedly searching for God, and I make mistakes. I'm not the greatest Christian, as some of you may know, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm in it for the long run, basically, and delving or straying away from God actually, in a way, helped me uh, because I know what's out there. I know that's not for me, and now I'm back, and I'm looking for God. Danilo, would you like to share? Well, we're sometimes tempted to think that God has arbitrary requirements on us, mm -hmm. which has caused a lot of people to turn away from God. That is because of a misunderstanding. You see, in life, the thing that we learn is that some things work and some things don't work. And the Lord has given us instructions. They're like hints. They're like a treasure map. How to avoid things that don't work and how to do more of those that do work. It's, it's like if you write a letter to somebody you love, you would like to write it nicely. You would also check the grammar and the spelling. Why? Because those things help to be understandable so that you can convey the message you wish to convey. God's laws are like those rules of grammar so that things can be understandable and that things would make sense and work. Does that work? You, you went over the 30 seconds, but we'll, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Thank you for sharing. Moses. Yeah. Um, uh, it's funny because before we came out, we were talking with Miguel and something that came to mind is um, what Nietzsche had said that we still believe in God because we believe in grammar. Which <laughs> we were just talking, <laughs> which we were talking about. Um, and I, I would say that the thing about Christianity is that it's like learning to speak a new language. Um, and you, you can't really learn a language by memorizing all of the rules. Um, you you got to live there, you know? You, you, if you want to speak Italian, you, you need to be in Florence. <laughs> you need to experience what it's like to walk around the Duomo and to have a, an espresso. Um, and it's very different. It's very different than coffee in, in SoCal. Um, very, very different. But you, you gotta be there, and then, um, and then you, you know, it's the the the, the chow and uh, uh, the the words start to come. You know, even when you, you feel like a baby, but you you just you can't help it. And Christianity's like that. It's it's not a theory. It's not. It's certainly not philosophy. <laughs> it's life. That's beautiful. Thank you. And last but not least, Chris. So the question was had to do with um, anything encouraging that I could share with you if you're struggling with, with unbelief, essentially. Is that it? Yeah, or any other advice that you have in your yeah. field and in your life and experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I think 
one thing I wanted to mention is why is this important? You know, uh, why care about the age of the earth? Why care about, you know, God used evolutionary, didn't? Why does it matter how we interpret Genesis and all these things? I think ultimately it matters because it has to do with who do you put your trust in? Do you put your trust in man and man's fallible ideas about the past who weren't there and often make mistakes? Or do you trust in God and his word? And so I just want to encourage you guys to trust in God's word. And if, if you have doubts and, and struggles, that's okay. Like God is gracious. Remember the man that came to Jesus and said, I, Lord, I, I want to believe, but help me. And that was good enough for him. Jesus did not turn him away. So God is available to you even in your doubts. He hears your prayers even in your doubts. So have the courage to pray to God. Keep the communication going on with God during your doubts. And come up to me afterwards. Uh, I'd love to give you resources. I have a few with me I can give you for free if you're struggling. Uh, love to hand them out to you just, just to encourage you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, can we, just, can we just give a huge round of applause for these awesome folks for being here tonight? Thank you guys so much. This has been incredibly enlightening. And I hope that you took something away from it. I hope that you were able to leave space and leave room to challenge your faith, to keep growing, to keep chasing after God because God is chasing after us each and every moment of our lives. We had an aerospace engineer, biochemist, philosophist, geologist, and then two just randos off the street. <laughs> and we are so incredibly honored to be able to share just a little bit of our creator, of our designer, and ultimately create the space where you feel safe to doubt, you feel safe to question, and you have resources right here in front of you to be able to deconstruct your faith and rebuild it into something stronger. And so right now, I'm going to invite the band to come up. And right now in this moment, I want you to think about maybe something that you are questioning. Maybe it's something in your classes that you're learning. Maybe it's something that you have been holding on to this idea about God and people or maybe it's a certain group of people that you are questioning and you are doubting. God, if you exist, why do these things happen? I want you to sit in that space of discomfort and ask yourself, God, where is my belief and unbelief? And in that moment and in that place of discomfort, I want you to know that you are not alone. And that being in this journey of being a Christian and being this journey of a Jesus follower, that is one of the most beautiful parts of our faith. And so let's pray just for a quick moment right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for bringing us here tonight that we can hear the stories and the experiences of those who have gone before us those who have done research, hours and hours of research, of pouring over books and knowledge and being able to come into this safe space and to share their, what they have learned and how they have journeyed alongside you, Lord. I pray that this has been a humbling experience for us of recognizing that, Lord, we know so little compared to the limitless knowledge that you are, the omnipotent God that you are, that you are all-knowing, all-loving. And Lord, even when we say these words, we are limiting you because, Lord, you are ultimately limitless. You exist out of a time spectrum. You exist out of everything that we know, and yet we try to understand you more. And so, God, I pray that you be with us, that you give us peace, knowing that it's okay to doubt, it's okay to journey, and that we have a full community that will love us and shoulder along with us in this space. Thank you for your Sabbath and for your rest and for knowledge, Lord, because we are complex humans and we want to know you better. Thank you that science doesn't have to sacrifice faith and faith does not need to sacrifice science. 
And Lord, we thank you so much ultimately for your love and for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Be with us for the rest of this evening and help us to have a great rest of our Sabbath day. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there. On a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment, it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.